knows it, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, part 92. Yeah, it's true. 92, and I've preached 91 sermons on this already. And I'm not finished as yet. Jesus has more, amen? And it's wonderful. Now, let's read uh, this morning, and the theme for, the, uh, for this uh, is this morning, Learn a Lesson from the Fig Tree. Learn a Lesson from the Fig Tree. I know everybody thinks automatically at what? At what? Now, what do you think? Most of them think of the fig tree, you know, Jesus was talking about, you know, in regards to the end time. But there were more fig trees in the Bible. Did you know that? And Jesus taught us a lesson about the fig tree. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. And let's read the scripture in Mark chapter 11, the verses 11 to 14, and the verses 19 to 25. Mark 11, 11 to 14, 19 to 25. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around, at everywhere or everything, he left for Bethany with the disciples since it was already late. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry, seeing in a distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. Very interesting. Remember this. For it was not the, the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from this again. And his disciples were listening. Are you listening this morning? The disciples were listening. Now let's go to verse 19. When evening came, they would go out of the city as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed, has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Okay, remember this word. Have faith in God. Truly, I said to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I said to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. 
Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. So far, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you may teach us this morning that we might understand your word. Blessed be your word, Lord, and your wonderful name. I thank you. Give grace to speak your word. Give grace to listen to your word. And also give grace to act upon your word in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. When I finished the preaching last Sunday here, my dear brother came to me, brother uh, Peter, and said, you, you will pray for a lot of people, for sick people, because what you read, there was the leading into it. And at the end, when Jesus cleansed the temple, and we read, and the blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them. And little did I know, neither did he know, we prayed for a lot of sick people, didn't we, Colin? A lot of sick people. And we believe the Lord has touched these people. Hallelujah. Now, according to Mark, between the cursing and the teaching of the fig tree was the cleansing of the temple. I skipped it because I preached last Sunday on it. The cleansing of the temple. You remember that, don't you? Now this figure lesson was or has hypercharismatics led into some kind of over-realized speaking into existence. And some people in some charismatics came up with it and said, well, you have to have the faith of God. These are so-called faith acrobatics, I call it. You have to have the faith of God. And the Bible says here, very simple, have faith in God. I want to tell you, God has got no faith at all. Amen? Anybody shocked? God has no faith at all. Amen? I don't, don't hear amens. God has no faith, but He is faithful. Hallelujah. God hasn't faith. And that's why it's nonsense to preach. You have the kind of faith God has. He hasn't got a faith. God doesn't need faith, does He? No. God didn't create anything in the universe by faith. And that's what people think. Well, if you have the faith like God has faith, then you speak and it will happen. No. Not even a single atom, atom God created in the universe by the power of faith, did He? He created it by the power of His Word. Hallelujah. Now let's read Genesis chapter 1 verse 3. And that's what the Bible says. Very clearly, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Bible doesn't see God believed there would be light. Light. No, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Amen. Now, in whom should have God faith, if people would say, have the faith of God? 
Anybody here could tell me? Is there anyone greater than God in the whole universe? No way. Hebrews chapter 6, I found a wonderful, wonderful scripture. When I was preparing myself, uh, there was one of the hardest sermons to prepare. Now all those who want to be pastors, I tell you what, think about whether the Lord has given you a call to become one. It's not easy. It's not easy. You have a word and then you, you, you pray and say, Lord, can you open up the word to me? I want to feed the people of God on a Sunday morning. I tell you what, the next Sunday morning is coming for sure. I had it once when I was a young pastor. And I was supposed to preach something and I didn't have anything to preach. You know what it is? But the congregation comes together on Sunday morning. They're there. They want to hear something of you, pastor. Now what should I preach? And I... I I had a word and, and I, it didn't connect in my heart. And I was praying and it was nothing. Silch, you know what I mean? I got nothing. But the time came I had to stand behind the pulpit. And I had to preach something. That's what people accept of a pastor. People don't accept of a pastor to come on and uh, tell nonsense. No, no. I don't want to be a nonsense pastor. I want to be a pastor who preaches the Word of God. Amen? And we read it very clearly in Malachi that of the priest's lips you should hear the Word of God, the law of God. If anybody calls himself a pastor and you don't hear the Word of God from his lips, he is anything but a pastor, perhaps a clown. The Word of God needs to be listened and heard from the lips of a man of God. You understand it? And I didn't have anything this morning. What should I do? Although I had a scripture from Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, where God says, I have let you, Israel, I have let you, and so on. And I thought before, before I start preaching, I make a test, a church test. We are allowed to make church tests as pastors. Did you know that? And I asked, who prayed for me last week? There was one little hand, a little sister, I prayed for you. I tell you what, congregation, people, pray for your pastor. And I thank you for every prayer that's being sent up to heaven for my dear brother Colin and me for the Philippines. Hallelujah. We experienced the Lord in wonderful way. Hallelujah. We went to a prayer meeting about 80 people. And the door was open. There was a street outside. The door opened. They don't have windows with glass. You only have holes in the wall and some slats of timber across that nobody could crawl into. But the sound goes out. And we, we were praying. And they prayed for all sorts of things. They had a wonderful list. 
I forgot to bring one. I would have loved to bring it along to show you what they pray. For everything they were praying, especially they were praying for their country. And the bottom of the island Mindanao, you saw it here. There's ISIS already fighting. We heard it from Colm. They were praying. They were praying that the name of Jesus might be proclaimed and the gospel of Jesus Christ might be filled the whole nation. There was a lady next to me. She stood up and prayed. I tell you what, non-stop at least 30 minutes from the top of her voice, crying to God, And here it seems I understood something of what Jesus said in Luke 18. That we should pray all the time. And Jesus said about the elect God is going to listen to the elect that cried to God, what? Day and night. And I found something there of urgency in prayer. Urgency. And I tell you what, it was a... Midday, about uh, uh, three o'clock or so, and hot. And she was praying from the top of her voice. Praying, praying, non-stop. And we call it a prayer if we put our hands together and say something to God. We call it a prayer. Let's make a prayer that some people say. We don't make praise prayers. We pray, amen. We pray and lift up our voices and worship Him. Glory to God. Now, when I was uh, back, uh, coming back to my time where hardly anybody was praying for me, just one sister, so the Lord gave me His Word. The Spirit of God came upon, upon me and I preached a sermon I never will forget. Never will forget. Just like the Spirit gave it to me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Hebrews 6.13 For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, there is no one greater. You understand it? There's no one greater. Hallelujah! I don't care if the Muslims say Allah is great. There is no one greater. Amen. Did you read it here? Because he couldn't swear by anyone greater. There was no one greater that he could swear. But he swore by himself. God is absolute. Absolute. True in himself. Amen. So if there is no one greater, God could swear to Abraham. So there is no one greater God could possibly believe in. Amen? God is true. God has no faith. Now this scripture is not telling us you have the kind of faith of God. God has no faith. Hallelujah. Amen? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And if you would say to people, God has no faith, they would look at you like a car. It's true. Show me a scripture where God has faith. And people told us, you have to believe in yourself. And 
you heard this nonsense? Somebody came to church years and years ago and said, well, you have to have some kind of faith. You have to believe in yourself. I don't believe in myself. My dear brother David, God has got no faith. Do you know that? Because in whom should he possibly believe? There is no greater one. He is the greatest. Hallelujah. He fills the whole universe. Amen. Hallelujah. And he swore by himself because for Abraham's sake that the promise of Abraham will come. Hallelujah. This is just the intersection uh, or that little, um, let me put this way, the introduction. Now Jesus came on the next morning um, to the fig tree. He saw a fig tree and uh, there was a fig tree in leaves. So I heard all sorts of preaching and teachings about it and I searched it a little bit. Some said they were early figs and some said, oh, and then there are later figs. Do you have early plums on your plum tree and then later proper plums? No. God said everything in nature, it works that way as He said it. So, are there early figs? Some preachers preached it. I heard it. The early figs. But they are not early figs. What did Jesus see? A fig tree in what? In leaves. Now you Australians, you know everything better I do. You know, anybody has a fig tree at home? Peter. When are the early figs ripe? And when are the later figs ripe? Yes, now I'll tell you what. What the Bible means here, and it says very clearly in the, in the end of verse 13, the season of figs was not. And why was Jesus looking for something to eat? He saw it in leaves. That's what the Bible says. He saw this fig tree in leaves. Now, I want to ex explain to you how it works. Anybody observed when a, a tree is blossoming, yeah, and then something takes place by the bees, and that is what? Pollination. And what do you see then? All of a sudden, behind the flower, there's a little bud growing. Yes? And that's going to be the fruit. And that is the, the thing with figs too. There's a little fig growing already because pollen, uh, pollination took place and now it's growing something. And then after the pollination of figs comes come the leaf. And then the leaves do their business. What are leaves there for? Anybody knows it here? Protect the fruit? The fruit? More. More. Anybody knows it? Do we have a gardener here who does something with, with uh, trees and stuff like that? What happens? Leaves are there for photosynthesis. That means the power of the sun. These leaves take and transfer it 
into that just now starting little fruit bud. And through the leaves, through the leaves, the power of the sun comes in and it starts growing and growing. I observed it with my lemon tree and I saw there's a little fruit bud and then through the sun it grows and grows. Now our green lemons are about this big. And then we get yellow lemons when they are real uh, ripe. Now there's something that takes place and these little fruit buds, some call them early figs, are edible. And that's what Jesus was about. He saw their leaves. There must be then these little fruit buds which were edible. And it says, for the fruit or the season of the figs was not there as yet. Was it right for Jesus to come? And curse the tree because she knew exactly it is not time of the harvest as yet. Was Jesus wrong? No. But if the tree would have been a tree who would fruitful, these little buds, fruit buds, where would have, should have been there, and Jesus could have eaten them, and he didn't fight anything, not even the smallest touch of a fruit. And so Jesus cursed that tree. Now, Jesus wasn't unfair to the tree. Well, is God fair or unfair in any way? No. God is fair. Amen. Jesus is fair. But already the first start of fruit was not there. And Jesus would have eaten it. Now because of the abundance of leaves, there were so many leaves on, there should have been fruit, but there was no fruit. Interesting, Numbers 13, verse 23. Then they came, you know, the spies were being sent out, and they brought something of Canaan land. Anybody remember that? What did they bring? I remember that from Sunday school, we had always these nice felt pictures. Even in my time, when I was at Sunday school, it's a few years ago, even a few decades ago. And I remember this picture, the two guys are having a huge, what was it, a grape cluster on their shoulders. And I, as a child, I looked, oh boy, that must have been a huge, huge vine. And the Bible says, let's read here. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the men. With some of the pomegranates and some of the, what did they bring also? Figs. Now we know the cluster of grape is a sign of joy. 
and pilgrims a sign of love and fix a sign of, uh, of uh, fruitfulness. So fix, speak of fruitfulness. Jesus was looking for fruit from Israel too. And we understand that we also understand this, this victory is a picture of Israel. Now when Jesus came, He was not received by Israel. And Jesus came and looked for fruit. And there was John the Baptist. Anybody heard about John the Baptist? What did he do? He was preaching. And we read of him in um, Matthew chapter 3, the verses 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. Now, uh, it was known that John the Baptist is doing something uh, because God told him to, to do. He was in the Jordan River and he preached Jesus is going to come. Well, actually, the Messiah is coming. Somebody is going to come greater than me. And many, many flocked out to the Jordan. And even the Pharisees and Sadducees came. They all wanted to say, what's going on there? And they thought, well, perhaps we want to be baptized too. But John had a clear vision. He looked at these guys and they came to be baptized. And how did he respond? He said, you brood of vipers who want you to flee from the wrath to come. What are you going to do here? What do you want here? Uh, John, we want to be baptized. No, no, no. Not that easy. Not that easy. What did he want? What was he looking for? He wasn't looking for people who were willing to be baptized. What was he looking for? Now read it here. Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is the fruit of repentance? And that fruit was not available in Israel. Neither did Jesus see the fruit, nor John the Baptist saw the fruit. And he said, Whoa! Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is the fruit of repentance? First of all, there were these three things that happened. Nobody has really repented and nobody is really born again. The first thing of fruit of repentance is conviction by the Holy Spirit. If anybody says, I'm a Christian, and if you never have been convicted by the Spirit of God, I dare to say, you are not. That's the task of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the first fruit, the first thing, the fruit for repentance is conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been convicted by the Spirit of God of your sinfulness? Have you ever been convicted by the Spirit of God of sinfulness? Many Christians mix it up and they don't understand it. They call it condemnation or the pastors only preaching condemnation. I am not preaching condemnation. 
I want to preach that people get convicted by the Holy Spirit. Amen. I read a little story from David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson, a man of God, he went to be with the Lord now. When he was in New York, and he was preaching, and he had a big church, and all of a sudden, I think a number of 400 people or so left the church and went to other churches. And uh, after half a year, they came back. And he said, uh, why, why, why do you come back? Pastor, we are looking for a convicting word of God. We didn't get convicted in the other churches. Wherever we went, we didn't convict it. We want to be convicted by the Spirit of God. And I tell you what, whenever you get convicted by the super Spirit of God, things are going to change in your life. Amen? They are going to change. That's why I pray often, Oh Lord, work conviction this morning in people's life. There where conviction is needed. Hallelujah. Fruit of repentance starts with the conviction by the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is the little, little fruit. The little fruit but being pollinated by the Holy Spirit. You understand it? If I speak it in these pictures of the fig tree, that's what it is. And that's what Jesus was looking for. There was no conviction. And the next thing is this. Stop your way or your sinful way. Don't keep going the sinful way. After the Spirit of God has convicted you of your sin, you have to stop your sinful way. You understand what I mean? Otherwise, you are not having any fruit God is looking for. That was, that was the fruit John the Baptist was looking for. The next thing is, Turning to Jesus for forgiveness. Hallelujah. Do you understand what fruit of repentance is now? Shall we repeat it? Fruit of repentance is conviction of sin by the Spirit of God. Stop in your sinful way. Don't go any further. Turn to Jesus for forgiveness and He will forgive. Now the teaching of the fig tree. Peter, the next morning, they came and passed by the fig tree. And you understand, they went to Bethany, came to the temple, and went to Bethany, and came back to the temple. And then they passed by this tree. And Peter was amazed at, Master, did you see this tree you cursed? It has withered up from the roots. And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? And let's read it. When, when evening came, they would go out of the city. As they were passing by, in the morning, that was the next morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Now Jesus is going to teach something. We all know Jesus is powerful and His Word is spirit and life. Amen?
It's the first time, remember, and that's important to understand here in this case. It is the first time Jesus used His power in order to curse. In all the other miracles, when He healed people, it was by His Word. Your faith has made you well. Or He touched somebody. And He said, be healed. Have your vision, whatever it was. Jesus, all these things Jesus did through His power for doing good and well, healing, forgiving, and so on. And He said to this man who was there on the stretcher, come down through the roof, your sins are forgiven. Jesus could say it. And the Pharisee said, well, who is He? Who can forgive sins? Only God. We think only God. And Jesus said, well, in order to know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, what is easier to say? Be healed or your sins are forgiven. Now, what would you prefer? What would be easier for you? The easier thing would be your sins are forgiven because nobody could see whether you were successful in what you said. But in order that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he said, take up your pallet and go. And the eyes of the Pharisees who were there, they looked. It's right what Jesus says. It's working. So Jesus always used the power of His Word to do good, to heal, to forgive. Hallelujah. But here is the very, very first time where He used His power to curse. That's why don't you curse. That's why we do not curse. Only God has the right to curse. Just something I have to pick up. There was a DVD going around a little bit and somebody saw it here on my desk as well. I haven't seen it as yet till then. There was the DVD, what's it called again? Uh, uh, war. The war room. The war room. Whoever issued it, God forgive him. It's a movie. I didn't have time to watch it. I watched it. And then there's one thing where this person actually spoke against the devil. So one thing is, you and I, we have no right to curse. And I'm, gonna talk, I'm not talking to the devil at all. I only pray to Jesus. And now I want to give you the scripture. The scriptures here in Jude chapter 9. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. We don't speak to the devil. I've got no dealings with the devil. Amen? All my dealings are with Jesus. No dealings with the devil. Hallelujah. I do something if the devil comes to me. You know what I do? 
I just be disobedient. Amen? Very simple. If he says something to you, do this and this, just be disobedient. Hallelujah. I am not responsible to answer to the devil at all. I've got no dealings with the devil. I have dealings with Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Some people think or enter into a shouting match with the devil. And I, I've heard many things, you know. Many things in other churches as well. Satan, go to hell. Whether you say it or not, he's going to go there anyway. Because God said it. Amen. Because God said it. Let the word of God be so powerful. Hallelujah. And so, I watched this uh, DVD and uh, saw praying is good, but don't get any interaction with the devil. Now we read something of Paul. Paul uses apostolic authority to hand a person over to Satan. Let's read the scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, I have decided to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he did here is this here. There was a horrible sin in the church. And everybody turned away from this person. And Paul says, well, this person I have delivered over to Satan. That Satan might have his doing on his body. That he might get sick or ill or whatever. That his soul would be saved. We don't have any right to give anybody over to Satan unless as Paul did it here that his soul might be saved on the day of Jesus Christ or of the Lord Jesus now here is the mountain issue and Jesus said well if you believe have faith in God not have the faith of God that kind, that God kind of faith. You understood and learned something this morning. If you didn't learn anything, you learned at least God has no faith. Amen? Hasn't sunk in with you as yet? Hasn't sunk in? God has no faith. Amen? He doesn't need faith. God speaks and it is there. Amen? Hallelujah. But you are not God. That's why you can't create your own miracle as Benny Hinn preaches nonsense like that. We pray to the Father. We pray to God. Now the mountain issue and Jesus said here, okay, uh, if you have faith and you speak, this mountain will go and will, will be planted into the sea. Now, also this one. It is not about... It's not about to save excavation costs. Jesus doesn't say it. 
This means if there's a mountain in the way of God's advancement, we can pray against it. Hallelujah. We can pray against mountains that are in the way of God's advancement. Do not use it in revenge against others. Lord, you, you know this person has done very, something bad to me. They, they have talked against me and behind my back. And Lord, Lord, give him something bad that you remember. No, that's not the way we pray. If somebody has done something wrong to you, what do you do? We bless them. Bless your enemies. That's what the Bible says. That's why Mark says here in verse 35, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. So when we pray, our hearts must be free. Don't have anything against anyone. Amen? Don't have any, any mess, enemies and say, Lord, oh, do it to him, this and this. No, 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 no. Pray. Bless him. And that's why we must pray in that way. Now, what is the ultimate victory lesson? Israel, if victory missed out on salvation, Jesus cursed his victory, and no one should eat of you any fruit anymore. Why Jesus did it? I don't know. But he did it. And whatever he did was right. Amen? Was right. Now, when we come now to the Jerusalem conclusion, and we see something Jesus said there, Luke 1942 saying if you had known in this day even you the things which made for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes Jesus was crying over Jerusalem when he moved into Jerusalem Oh, if you only would have known the things that help you for peace. But now it is hidden. It is hidden from your eyes. There's a time coming. After we always, always rejected Jesus, that things, salvation will be hidden from your eyes. Salvation was hidden from the eyes of the fig tree of Israel. You know what? It is dangerous to come into a church where the word of God is being preached. Did you know that? Nobody says anything. It is dangerous to come to church where the word of God is being preached. Why? Why is it dangerous? You hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it. And one day, whenever the Spirit will 
challenge you. You close yourself up. And perhaps whether the Spirit is still going to challenge you. That's the danger coming to a church where the Word of God is being preached. Where they preach psychology and all the garbage, it's no danger. But in this church, and I pray that you might understand whoever you are, whoever you are, if you're closing up to the Spirit, it will be one day. It will be hidden from your eyes. I will conclude with a little story of a man. The Bible says clearly in Job 33 verse 25, Behold, God does all these things oftentimes. And the side note means at least two or three times. God speaks to every person at least two or three times. Has God spoken to you in the sermon, in the preaching of the word? God ever spoken to you? God is not speaking endlessly. There was a man, a young man. It was before World War II in Germany. And he was a young engineer. And he came once when he went through the streets of the little city to a place, people were there, Christian, they were singing and preaching the gospel. And he heard the word of God for the first time. And somehow in his heart it was... What they are preaching is right, is right. I need to have Jesus. I must turn around. But he went away. After a time later, there was in that time when the salvos not only were looking for money, when the salvos were looking for souls. They were preaching and singing and all the music, you know, the brass bands was in order to get people's attention and then they preached the word of God. There was a salvation army open ear meeting, ear meeting and they had their brass bands and their choir and then one of the officers, he started to preach. Have you ever heard any salvo officer preaching in the streets here in Melbourne? Anybody heard anyone? You heard one? Praise the Lord. The Lord bless this man. But hardly any. All they do now is supporting people who are homeless. Perhaps a good idea too. But their name is Salvation Army. Salvation. And they were preaching. And this young man, he was caught by the preaching of this man. And then, at the end, he said, if anybody is here, 
in the crowd, listening to what I said. Come, give your life to Jesus. Come here in the center of the circle. Come here, receive Jesus. You know, of course, the salvos, they had people there, they were scoffing and, and mocking, as we have it too. James knows about all these things. When we're in the city and, and preach, he knows these things. But somehow the Spirit of God spoke to him. You should go. It is your time. You should go now. But because of the mocking and scoffing, he didn't want to go into the center. He went away. World War II came. He was drafted into the Wehrmacht, the German army. And the Lord brought him out of the war. And after the war in Germany then, there was revival, I can say it. And almost every church had in summertime tent meetings. And they were preaching. There was a tent meeting right after the war in the early years. And people flocked to the tent meetings. They heard the word of God. And this our young engineer, he was invited to he came, and there was a man, he was preaching, he was a real Pentecostal preacher. In those days, the Pentecostal pastors, evangelists, they could preach them. They preached the gospel. Hallelujah. This evening, the Spirit of God was moving in a special way. This old young German engineer, he heard the voice of God. You must make today a decision. You have to follow Jesus. And the evangelist made an altar call. Others came to the Lord. He didn't. He didn't. He rejected again. See, these things... Does God twice or three times? At least God speaks three times to every person to get them off the path to destruction. The evangelist was sitting down. Perhaps the choir sang a song. And then he jumped out, came to the platform. Tonight somebody is here. God has spoken to him the third time. And I warn you, don't move out. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And our young engineer knew it is me. It is me. The Spirit of God is talking to me. It is me. choir was finished everybody went out and this young man who heard the voice of God the third time went out he staggered out like drunk it was over I don't know whether God called this man 
I don't know. That's what we learn from this lesson. That's what we learn from this lesson. There was no fruit of repentance in Israel. And how often would I gather you together, Jesus said, but now it is hidden from you. You want to know why there's sometimes people, they know everything about God, everything, everything. They know the gospel, but they are not born again. The gospel is hidden for, from their eyes. In traffic, in flight traffic, there is one point every pilot has to watch. If they start flying, taking up, there's a point of no return. A point of no return. If he misses this point, he can't turn around. He has to keep going. It may be also, I don't know, and the Spirit of God is speaking to you, it's time to say yes to Jesus now. There can also be for you a time of no Jesus, we have learned the lesson of this victory. Lord, whenever you use your powerful word, it was for healing, helping, and for forgiving. And Lord, here you came to this tree that signified Israel in that state. The way of salvation was shut for them. Oh Lord, and I pray that nobody here this morning, although he, hearing the voice of God, might keep going his or her own way. I pray that you will call people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's somebody here this morning, I preach for you. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you, come see me. I want to lead you to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So now I wish you a good day. And have a wonderful day. There's some tea and coffee. And help